I invite you now, if you will, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24, where Matthew writes, He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's an interesting time in our world right now. It's a troubling time in our world right now. We're dealing with a pandemic that is changing our lifestyles, putting us into some uncomfortable situations, feeling of isolation. And sometimes when we get in those situations, it changes our moods, it changes our attitudes. There's so much as well going on in our world, the anger that we're experiencing in our world right now is pretty incredible. The anger that we're experiencing in our own country and the issues that we're dealing with, the way people see one another and treat one another, it must break the heart of God. But it is, it's sad to kind of see where we are as a people. I know normally when I get up in the morning and fix my coffee, I like to sit down and watch the news and perhaps have breakfast while watching the news. I'm at the point now, I turn on the news first thing in the morning, but I only listen for about 10 minutes or so to hear what is really happening that's new, but then that's about all I can take right now. Because just seeing the attitudes and the mess of our world can actually be depressing. I mean, the the hostility that we feel, we, we hear when you turn from one news station to another or you listen to groups of people, it's, it, it's either you're on my side or the wrong side. You either agree with me or you're now my enemy. And the, the hatred and, and some of the, the things that we hear that are said about other people, it's absolutely devastating. 
And then we also begin to see this sense that we want mercy for us, but man, they need to get what's coming to them. We sometimes, instead of looking for reconciliation and peace and grace, seem to be looking for revenge or chastisement. It's a hard time right now, and it it raises the question, how did we get in this mess? And, And where is God in the midst of this. And if God is good and creation is good and when God created people it was good, then why does it seem so hard right now? Why does it seem so rough? Why does it seem if God is good and God is all-powerful that the world seems to be a little upside down at the moment? We've discussed this before. This is a theological issue known as theodicy. It's how do we justify having a good God in the midst of a world that seems to have evil running so rampant in it? And why doesn't God do something about it? Does God want to do something, but he's not powerful enough? Or is God powerful enough, but chooses not to? That's the theodicy dilemma. How do we come to that? And that's kind of... The question of the scripture that we just read. Jesus loved to tell stories. He was an amazing storyteller. And one of the reasons he would tell stories and parables is because he was often out along the lakeside or the hillside as he was teaching. And he could look up and point to things. There was a sower went forth to sow or behold this or that is happening around us. And, and he could paint those pictures so beautifully But Jesus taught with stories known as parables. Parables are not just a great story. It's actually a story with a message under it, with a meaning to it. And so Jesus is telling this parable, telling the story, because the question has obviously been being asked, why is there such a mess in our world? If God is good and creation was good, then why do we have evil happening in our world around us and pain and suffering and sorrow and harm. How did this happen? So Jesus said, well, the kingdom of heaven could be likened to this. It's it's like there was a farmer and he went out to sow. And, And this farmer, he sowed some really good seed in his field and everything seemed to be great. But when everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed some bad seed in his field. The the challenge is, is you can't really tell that it's bad seed until it's been in the field for a while and begins to produce its grain. The people are asking, didn't you sow good seed? Yes, it was it was actually really good seed. It was a seed, though, that got perverted with other seed around it. Well, then the workers looked to the farmer and said, should we we go try to pull it up then? We've got all these weeds now. We've got all this stuff in the field. I mean, just look around at this mess. Should we go try to pull it out? And, And the farmer said, no, 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 don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that because, well... If you go trying to pull up the, the weeds, you're going to pull up the wheat too. By now, the, the roots are intertwined and, and you're going to mix up which is which and 
you could actually harm the good when you're trying to deal with the evil and you're not really equipped to be able to do that. So just leave it for now. And then at the end, when the harvesters come, we'll be able to separate out the wheat from the weeds and the weeds will be set aside and, and then the wheat can be placed into my barn. I can kind of picture this. There are crowds of people around. Jesus is not only talking to the disciples, but there are multitudes of people listening. And I can imagine seeing the disciples, you know, trying to nod their heads because we know from a couple of them, you know, they, they kind of like to be in the know. I can see Peter going, oh, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I get them. But in just a little while, we see them go into the house, we're told. And it's just Jesus now and the disciples you know, they've kind of moved from the, the, the big teaching event to the small group, the Bible study, the life group, you know, that small group where you can now begin to wrestle with things. And, and, and I get tickled because the disciples look around at Jesus now and they go, um, what? <laughs> can you tell us what did that mean? What this story about wheat and tares and wheat and weeds, what did that mean and so then Matthew picks it back up in Matthew 13, picking up at verse 36. Jesus will now explain it. Matthew says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will collect out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they'll throw them into the furnace of fire where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, let anyone with ears listen. So Jesus, talking to the disciples, begins to lay it out. Well, actually, I'm the sower of the seed. The sower of the good seed is God himself. I'm talking about the whole world around you. And God sowed the good seeds. These are the people of God, the children of God. But, but the evil one, the devil, Satan, came in behind and tried to sow some evil weeds and seeds. And, and so evil now has taken some hold. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters... Well, those are the angels. Well, then the questions were, so you sowed good seed? It was good seed when you created the world? Yes, yes, of course. It was good seed. The problem is, while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed bad seed. Now, that's kind of an interesting thought that while everyone was asleep, because when you read the scripture and you study some of the different nuances, sleep is often seen as a representation of spiritual sloth or spiritual 
laziness or inattentiveness, not you know, being disciplined and committed in the faith. For example, in Matthew 25, verse 13, when Jesus is told the parable of the, the wedding and that there were the ten bridesmaids, five of them were wise and prepared, five of them were foolish and not prepared for the timing that the bridegroom would come. Jesus says at the end of the parable, Matthew 25, 13, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So keep awake. You have to be prepared. Be alert. Always be attentive. You never know what's going to happen. And the call, be aware. Be awake. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, also uses that same imagery when he says, So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You see, what Jesus is teaching us here is when we're not paying attention, when we're not attentive to what's going on around us, that opens up the door for Satan to begin to come into our lives, into our world, and begin to wreak havoc. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 goes on to say, Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. You see, the scripture kind of teaches us that that anywhere God is at work, we can be sure that Satan is going to be right behind him trying to undermine and pervert whatever it is that God is doing. We see a parallel to this in the story in Genesis, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And remember when we read Genesis, the scripture was written not to answer the scientific questions of how and when God created Genesis and the scripture is theological. It's designed to answer the questions of who created and why. They're different questions. So when we read Genesis, we're listening to the who and the why and God created this world. It was God who created and it was really good. Well, then why, why are there difficult times and evil in our world around us? Well, Sin entered into the garden right behind God and began to question everything that God had said. And, and now all of a sudden human beings had to try to decide who to listen to. And sometimes we choose to listen to the wrong voices. And evil enters into the world. Jesus picks that same message up here in this scripture. And, and he tells us, you see... While people were asleep, the enemy came and sowed this horrible seed. Now, in biblical times, in the area of Palestine, Galilee area, there was a weed that looked very much like wheat in the early stages. It's known as the bearded darnel. And, and early on, the bearded darnel comes up and it just likes you've got this beautiful wheat field. But pretty soon when the grain starts appearing, you realize this is not good. The challenge is by the time you realize what's happening, the roots are now intertwined and you can't really pull up one without the other. 
And it is labor intensive at the end of it. I mean, if, if you had the bearded darnel in your field when it came time for the harvest, you had to have people there separating out the wheat from the weed. And so it became a threat, actually, that an enemy might would look at someone who had a field and go, you mess with me, I'll sow darnels in your field. And it was such a problem that it was illegal to sow bad seed like that in someone else's field. It was a, a genuine threat. And so the people, when they heard Jesus tell the story, they went, oh, that would be bad. Anywhere God is at work, Satan is right behind it. I mean, we, we saw it in Genesis. God created it. It was good, created human beings. It was very good, placed them in a wonderful garden. But then in comes slithering temptation. We see it with Jesus. We see that Jesus is baptized and the heavens open and God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And pretty soon the next scene is Jesus in a wilderness with Satan coming up going, yeah, you know, if you really are, if you really are the son of God then and tries to pervert the plan. And I have this image in my mind too. Luke tells us that when the temptations were over, Satan just left him till a more opportune time. We see Jesus throwing himself down in the Garden of Gethsemane before he heads to the cross, begging if there is any other way. I, I guarantee you, Satan was in that garden too, hopping up on his shoulder going, seriously, you're going to die for these people. We saw it as well in the Gospel of John where God is doing this amazing thing through Jesus. But Satan, according to John, puts it in Judah's heart to betray Jesus. Anywhere you see God working, Satan's going to be behind trying to destroy and trying to mess it up, which then leads to the next question, well, do you want us to, to go pull them up? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You see, the problem is we human beings, we Christians, we're not equipped for that. We're not qualified for that. Jesus said, actually, if you, the church, start trying to make the judgment, if you as Christians start trying to, to judge other people and judge their relationship, all you're going to do is end up pulling up the good with the bad. No, 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 no. Leave that for me. You see, God judges differently than we do anyway. We tend to look at what's happening on the outside that people are doing and what we can see, and we make judgments on the heart. Jesus does it backwards. He looks at the heart and knows what's really going on and then makes judgments about what's happening on the outside and how we bear the fruit. No, God is the one who does the judging. Now, that's kind of hard for many of us to think about God judging. We, we, we don't like that image of God making a judgment on us. But yet we see that it's clearly there in the Scripture. Now, the challenge is God does everything that God can do to lead us to Him. But the fact that there, there's a time where God looks at us and, and examines us is a, a reality. N.T. Wright, as you've heard me refer to many times, he's the biblical scholar at Oxford University. N.T. Wright uh, mentions it this way in his commentary on the scripture. 
in Matthew, he says, there certainly are caricatures of God and his judgment, which we should avoid like the plague. He says, God is not a sadistic monster who would happily consign most of his beloved image-bearing creatures to eternal fire. But, he says, there are equal and opposite caricatures we should be aware of. God is not an indulgent grandparent determined to spoil the youngsters rotten by letting them do whatever they like and still giving them sweets at the end of the day. We must refuse, he said, the second just as firmly as the first. We have these images of what God is like. And the question becomes, then why, why doesn't God do something? And I guess a couple of things come to mind when I hear that question. One is, do we really want God to do something every time something wrong occurs or you know, a, a bad decision is made or evil occurs, because if so, pretty quickly I'm going to get caught up in that. I mean, we, we often think about, why, don't God, why doesn't God do something about them? But I have to realize that if, if I want God to judge them, that also sets me up for God to judge me. So why doesn't God do something we might want to ask, how much do we really want God to do before I get caught up in it with my own sin and my own evil and my own shame and my own mistakes? But the other thing, when I hear people ask, and I even ask, why doesn't God do something? I picture God going, seriously, why don't I do something? I mean, God did do something. This cross behind us is that whole sign that, that God saw what was happening in the world and the evil that was rampant in the world. And, and God intervened, that God humbled himself as we read in the scripture. And he takes on human form and he comes and lives among us to teach us stories like this, to teach us of the kingdom of God, to teach us of this God who wants us to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind and love our neighbors. Two simple commandments that we just can't seem to grab hold of, but then to show his amazing love for us and to intervene in this world, our God dies on a cross for us. As Jürgen Moltmann refers, this is the crucified God, a God who's willing to intervene at such a level that he's willing to die to give us the opportunity for grace and reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance. So God did intervene in an amazing way and then rose from the dead to, to show ultimate victory over both sin, evil, and death. So God has intervened. And then God, as we looked last week, has, has given us His Word. He's given us, hey, this is, this is the secret. This is the tool. And He's given us this Scripture with the law and the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament. We have 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and how God has loved and intervenes in this world. And then Acts, the story of the birth of the church and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit where God said, I will be with you always, all the way through then to letters to the churches of this is what it means to be the body of Christ, the people of God. Letters then to pastors and in that ultimate climax of Revelation where we hear, and no matter what, in the end, God will proclaim ultimate victory. Why doesn't God do something? I think God would argue, seriously? Why don't I do something seriously? I've given you my son. I've given you my word. I've called you to be the church. And I poured out my Holy Spirit upon you to empower you to be the body of Christ, the physical presence of Jesus Christ in your world today, and to be a witness to this world that's hurting, to be a witness and a testimony to this world that's seeming to be filled with hate when the commands are love God and love your neighbor. I did do something, I came and intervened. But I also called you to be the agents, to be the body of Christ. I did do something. I think it's interesting that Jesus is talking to the disciples, not the crowds, but he's in the house with the disciples. And he looks at the disciples, he looks at the church. And it's to them and to us that he then says, and those who have ears to hear, let them listen. Amen.